Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 10th of September 2023, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurt speaking on Psalm 1. So how does God go about changing us into the people that he wants us to be? How does he go about doing this both personally and corporately, changing us as a community? There are lots of answers to that question, aren't there? But one of them is by us learning to take seriously a wonderful resource that he's given to help us do this. And that resource basically is this, the book of Psalms. Psalms is a book in the Old Testament which contains 150 songs, and they're essentially prayers to God covering the full range of human experiences and emotions. So when we look at the Psalms, we find Psalms expressing amazing joy, and we find others expressing utter despair. We find in some of them fulsome praise to God, and we find in others genuine anger with God and frustration about what he's up to. We find in some of the Psalms a deep awareness of God's presence, and we find in others an awareness that God can often seem distant, unconcerned, and frankly appear to be uninvolved in the hardships of our lives. The Psalms, in other words, fit every type of human experience that we have. And by providing the words to fit those experiences, the Psalms, as I say, provides us with a wonderful resource to help us to bring all of our experience before God. And with the aim that it transforms us. With the aim that by reading the Psalms, by soaking ourselves in them, we are transformed into people more and more able to bring all of our life experiences to God and see his relevance to them. And that's why we're having this series over the next two months on the Psalms, looking at the first nine or ten of them, and it will hopefully help all of us to recognise more of their value and inspire perhaps us to make greater use of them in our Christian lives. We'll plunge into the first one that we're looking at, Psalm 1, in a moment, but first of all, some further points of introduction. And one of these points that I've already hinted at, really, is that none of the individual psalms contain the entire picture of our human experience and how God speaks into this. Each psalm comes at life from a different angle, and it needs the other psalms contained in the book of Psalms to give a full or complete picture. And the order in which the Psalms are arranged isn't random, it's done precisely to enable this to happen. So to give you one example, Psalm 22 is the great Psalm of desolation and an abandonment, and Jesus quotes it when he died on the cross, didn't he? It contains these famous words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. They're powerful words, aren't they? That express the experience that we often have of feeling abandoned by God. But then we notice what follows. Then we notice that Psalm 22 is deliberately followed by Psalm 23. Really the most famous psalm in the book of Psalms, which speaks of how though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, the loving shepherd, is with us. His rod and his staff, 
they comfort us. Part of getting the most out of the Psalms isn't expecting each one of them to be complete. It's about not expecting each one of the Psalms individually to cover everything about life, but knowing that precisely because they don't, each one of the Psalms can speak with amazing directness into that part of our human experience that it does reflect. So that's one important point about the Psalms to look out for. But another important point about the Psalms is their poetry. Because the Psalms are trying to describe spiritual realities for which no human language is fully adequate, they tend to express this through the use of parallel statements. Making a statement from one angle or one particular image being used, followed by expressing more or less the same idea using a different image. Now, remarkably, given that the Psalms were originally written in Hebrew, none of this poetry, or very little of it, gets lost in translation. And the repetition and the use of parallel statements is all part of what helps us soak up what the Psalms are saying. And it's all part of helping us to further explore, to go deeper into the human experience before God that they present. So what about Psalm 1? Psalm 1 with Psalm 2, which Katie will speak about next week, is deliberately designed to open the whole of the book. We had Psalm 1 read to us earlier, didn't we? But what is it saying that we can reflect upon this morning? Well, with wonderful clarity, Psalm 1 basically presents the choice that we have about how to live. And the contentment or the blessing that comes when we choose the right way. So the wrong way to live, expressed in the use of parallel statements, those parallel statements that I spoke about earlier, is focused upon first in the psalm. These are the words that it begins with. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. What we're seeing here is three poetic ways of describing the process of someone tuning in to godless ways of living through basically assimilating with those who live this way. Now, unless we do a lot of running or swimming, we spend most of our conscious life walking, sitting, or standing, don't we? And the psalm is using this mixture of images to get us to think about those people whom in the majority of our conscious lives are influencing us. And having it expressed with this mixture of images, it helps us to see more clearly than we would otherwise the constant pressure that's upon us, the constant pressure to live in a way that falls short of God's will for our lives. Because the truth is that every time we switch on our TVs, Every time we consume every bit of advertising that exists, pretty much, pretty much any time when we engage with the world around us, we're bombarded with messages that the best and most fulfilling way to live is one that basically puts God out of the picture. Life is all about, these messages tell us, the acquisition of things. It's all about self-discovery. It's about self-fulfillment. It's about basically grabbing the right to be happy whenever it presents itself. They're just some of the messages given to us 
by the surrounding culture. And part of the point of Psalm 1 is that those messages are really strong because they're so established. What it makes clear right at the start of the book of Psalms is that the path to blessing or contentment involves a pretty active state of resistance on our part to what the world around us is trying to push upon us. Now, I wonder how that makes you feel when you hear that. Most of us, however confident we might look on the outside, find it pretty hard to go against the flow, don't we? Whether it's in the workplace or in a friendship group, perhaps even in our family, it can be really hard if those ways of living that I've just mentioned earlier are completely normalised. If we're surrounded by people who think that's the only sensible way to live, it can be really difficult to go against the flow. But this is where the really positive part of this psalm helps us, where it makes clear that God has revealed to us an alternative. Because the one who is blessed, Psalm 1 says, is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on God's law day and night. God hasn't left us at sea in a world full of harmless messages, harmful messages, this psalm is saying because he's given us his law. And the person who is blessed soaks themselves in that law, pondering it with as much time as they can possibly give it, and reflecting on how God wants us to live it out. Now, this psalm was written hundreds of years, perhaps thousands of years, before the coming of Jesus. But the New Testament writers present Jesus as the fulfilment of that law. Because it's in and through Jesus that God's fullest commands about how to live and what's more, the power to obey those commands was revealed. Those currently doing the Paul course will be wrestling over the next few weeks with what Paul says about God's law in his letter to the Romans. But in that passage from Matthew's Gospel that we heard earlier, we saw Jesus saying that he came to fulfil the law and the prophets and urging people to both practice and teach his commandments. And it's as a result of basing our lives on God's law, this psalm says, that we become like this image. We become, the psalm says, like a tree planted by streams of water. Just look up at that image there. A tree planted by a stream gains that life-giving water that it needs, doesn't it? And the psalm declares that the person who obeys God's law is like that tree that yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither because whatever they do prospers. Now, Psalm 1 could be criticised for being rather simplistic at that point, particularly in that last statement, couldn't it? This is where, as I said earlier, we need the other psalms to balance this one. Because there are plenty of other psalms that witness pretty powerfully to when life isn't nearly as fair as this. But the answer is partly to notice that bit about the tree yielding its fruit in season. A tree planted by a stream won't yield fruit all year round, will it? But keep that constant nourishment going 
and it's all part of ensuring that that eventually happens. If constant water and nourishment is filling that tree, then it will be able to produce fruit at the right time and in season. And keep studying God's will for our lives, this psalm is saying. Keep reflecting, keep meditating, keep thinking about how it fits in with our situation and with our circumstances, and it will eventually bear fruit in our lives. That's part of the answer. But it also comes through the psalm's emphasis towards its end on God's judgment. Living as God wants us to, rather than following all the pressure from the world to live in selfish and destructive ways, is a step of faith. It's a step of faith that's prepared to believe in God's total commitment to upholding and vindicating those who live faithfully for him and judging those who don't. And the tenses that this psalm uses are very significant. Just look up at them now. He uses the present tense to speak of the tree planted by a stream being one that yields its fruit in season. And also when it speaks of the wicked being like chaff that the wind blows, present tense, away. When we live as God wants us to, there are numerous rewards in this lifetime. Just as when, when we don't, there are numerous negative things that happen. But beneath this is the certainty of God's future judgment. Because that forms the most solid basis of us living for him in the present. That's why the end of the psalm declares these words. Therefore, it says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So this psalm is essentially about two ways to live and their destiny. It's honest about the amount of peer pressure that's around to live in a manner very differently to God's will. But it also paints a wonderful picture of the goodness, the nourishment, the ultimate vindication and reward that will come if our lives are built around seeking to discern and then live out God's will. And it's worth us thinking this morning about where the major application of this might lie in our lives at the moment. Is there a situation at work, perhaps to do with work, perhaps to do with the treatment of someone at work, where we're under pressure to go along with something that we know isn't right, and where we know God wants us to walk down a different path. Or perhaps it's a situation closer to home. Many of us here are retired. Is there a situation involving our friends or even our family where we're facing the temptation to go along with something that we know isn't right? Or is it a pressure coming more internally from us? Has someone behaved in a certain way and we're full of annoyance and frustration and anger with them and we don't particularly want to listen to what God has got to say about it. The answer, according to this psalm, is to seek to try and work hard at discerning what God's word is actually saying about this. That will be 
the appropriate response. Now, there are many ways of going about that. We can seek specific answers about the Bible from the internet. If you've got access to the internet, it's actually pretty good at that. You can Google things like, what does the Bible say about such and such? And pretty much, really good answers will come back. That is a rather sort of emergency or instant response that sometimes we can do much worse than follow. But the way that the Bible works best is when we're approaching it like eating food regularly and drink regularly. When we're regularly reading, studying, and thinking about the Bible, usually with others, in discussion and prayer. Because it's then that we're being like that healthy tree next to a stream, taking in water through its roots to remain healthy and in time bear fruit. There are various ways that we can do that. I've mentioned Sunday School for Grown-Ups starts up again this evening. Uh, do come along if you'd like to uh, be part of that. It would be great to see you there. We also have home groups that meet regularly during the week, groups of people between 8 and 12 people, most obviously, who meet together to study the Bible together, to pray for one another, to support one another. And very often when people's Christian faith grows, it's because they've been part of a home group. We've also got Connections, a Bible study group for women that meets every other week on a Wednesday. There's other groups as well, and we can always start new groups. Do talk to me if you're interested in any of those groups and putting down deeper roots into the God who's not only promised that he watches over the way or the path of the righteous, but has provided the means for us to grow in relationship with him, the means for us to study, meditate upon, and put into practice his will for our lives.